Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is February. Today's February. Today is Thursday, February 24th. This is episode 3040 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, it is a Thursday, so it's time for an expert counsel Q&A show of the week. Uh, but I have a couple announcements, and then I'll tell you what we're going to be talking about, and then we'll start dropping in and hearing from the individual experts. Uh, first of all, an announcement I wanted to make at the front of the show instead of the end of the show is that right now there's a sale on MSB, or the Member Support Brigade, and it's part of what I did for the Anarchopoco folks, and I put up a web page that you can find at thesurvivalpodcast.com forward slash Mexico. And if you go there, among all the other resources, there's also a discount code. And I thought if I'm going to do that for people that attended Anarchapoco, I should do it for my entire audience. The discount that I'm offering uh, through the end of, of uh, the month is actually Mexico 22, M-E-X-I-C-O 22. And that'll get you MSB for $35 a year. That is for new customers only, but it's because of how my software works. It's not because I'm an evil genius that's marketing like AT&T and wants to single out my existing customers. You can't renew early with my software. It doesn't. It works on an annualized basis. So uh, this discount is for annual memberships only, not quarterly or or monthly. Uh, but thirty five bucks a year for MSB discount code Mexico twenty two. If you want to renew uh, with cryptocurrency and you want to do it manually, we can we can do that. Uh, cryptocurrency renewal is kind of a manual process. It's a form you fill out. And I get an address back to you. But if you're just paying by automatic payment from PayPal or credit card or something like that, I I can't actually let you do it early. It's just not possible. Um, so I'm sorry about that, but that's the way that that works. There's a tremendous amount of resources available if you're already a member. It would be very helpful to look through, especially when you're like, Jack took a day off and I don't want to listen to this Rewind episode. Man, there's so much on that page. I think you could spend a month just going through the resources on that page. Some of them are older shows, some of them are newer, but it can be all found at the survivalpodcast.com slash Mexico. All right, next up, yesterday I had a, I thought it was a great interview um, with Jeff Andrew uh, from um, Unchained Capital on using Bitcoin in your retirement account and how you can actually do that product they offer to do that. There's other options. It wasn't a show that was like an infomercial for Unchained, but I do like Unchained as a company, and I, I liked what I heard from Jeff, and I thought it was very infor informational. And then he had just happened to drop that a guy named Parker Lewis – works for Unchained Capital. I was like, I would love to interview Parker. Um, it is an interesting name. I'm not sure if it's a pseudonym or his real name, because of course the old thing, Parker Lewis can't lose. It was kind of a like an extension on the concept of like a Ferris Bueller type character. Uh, but this guy is freaking switched on when it comes to Bitcoin. One of the resources I've, I've recommended for a long time were his two interviews with Peter McCormack, uh, gradually, then suddenly, parts one and two. And I said I'd like to interview him. And <clears throat> these guys at Enchain move fast. I've already got him. I've got his submission in, and Dorothy's connecting with him to book. So we will probably have Parker Lewis on either next week or the following week on like a Tuesday. And uh, if you want a real education in Bitcoin and the kind of the higher level thinking of how Bitcoin is real money, you'll want to hear from this guy. So I, I'm, I'm really happy to be bringing him on. It's kind of a 
bringing on kind of a really big name person. Like maybe some of y'all don't know who he is, but he's not a person that you would generally just reach out and instantly book like that without some sort of connection. So uh, I'm really excited to be bringing that to you. I wanted to give you those two announcements. Now, let's go ahead and let me tell you what we're going to be talking about today. The Ron Paul Liberty highlights. Ron's going to talk about America's dire financial position that we're in right now. And it's way worse than I think most people realize. Uh, from the same, from the crew, the Ron Paul crew, Dan McAdams is going to talk about non-intervention in Ukraine and why being non-intervention is not being pro-Russian. That's going to fit great with my segment. And I'm going to, I'm going to not comment much on that when I play that segment because my, my anchor segment is going to go into this at a deeper level. Chris Rossini is going to talk about why government hates gold and loves fiat. I'm going to make a correlation of Bitcoin with that when we get there. Ken Berry is going to talk about should a nursing woman get a vaccine, specifically the COVID-19 jab, and give you his opinion on that. Uh, Michael Jordan's going to talk about getting started as a hobby beekeeper. Jessica Dixie Mills, who we haven't heard from for quite a while because she's been out and about uh, trekking across the world. Um, we'll talk about choosing a top quilt for backpacking and camping. Uh, Patrick Rohrman's going to talk about getting started as a knife maker and getting past the toolbox fallacy. We haven't talked about toolbox fallacy in a long time. Nick Ferguson will talk about fodder trees and specifically, do you have to worry about the varieties of things like mulberry or willow or poplar? Uh, and he's going to talk about that. And when you buy a property that already has so many trees, how you can start using them for fodder production. And I'm going to talk about what's actually going on in the Ukraine, why the U.S. response should be absolutely nothing, and was Jack wrong? I wouldn't say I was wrong, but I also wasn't right, and I'm not really splitting hairs there, and I think it'll make sense, and I will be doing that segment live on YouTube where I can be heckled if people disagree. Before we get into these topics, I want to start out today with something we haven't done in a while, a quote of the day, because especially when we talk about Ukraine, boy, critical thinking is going to be important to actually understand what's going on, because what you have to understand, if you're getting all your information from the U.S. media, this is no different than anything else they give you all the information on. It's bullshit, and there's lies. There's truth and lies all mixed together. Likewise, if you were getting all your information from Russian media, like Russia Today, RT.com, the U.S. outreach of Russian news to America, you get all your news from there. You have to consider most of it bullshit, too. You have to look at the totality, the history, everything that's going on to understand what's going on. And then you have to look at the U.S.'s history of helping and how one of the worst things that can happen to a country in the middle of a conflict is U.S. help. Okay? Ask a few countries that we've helped recently about how how well it works out when the U.S. gets involved with shit. Okay? And the quote I have, you would think maybe doesn't have anything to do with all this. It's from Martin Luther King Jr. He said one time, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character. That is the goal of true education. And I'm telling you the reason that people in this country have willingly submitted to being locked into their own homes and covering their faces and having to have papers to do things like travel or go buy food in the form of a jab passport is because that quote is 100% accurate and it's the exact opposite of the education system that we have that was already well under construction when Martin Luther King said those words. And it's only gotten worse and worse and worse. And the function of education in America today is to program people to trust and believe authority. 
which you cannot trust and believe authority unquestioningly. And let me, you said, but there's all kinds of fighting and argument over. No, no, there's not. The majority of Americans trust and believe authority. They just pick side A or side B of the coin. You trust the right or you trust the left. The government doesn't care. The government, when I talk about the government, you think I'm talking about congressmen and presidents. No, I'm talking about the government. The government that actually governs this country. The people that actually rule this country. The oligarchs and the technocrats. They don't care what side you choose to believe. As long as you choose to believe one of them, they can give you two choices and either belief benefits them. You know, you actually can do that. You can actually be in a position of true power and have intermediaries between you that you control like little chess pieces. You understand that? Maybe not because the function of education is supposed to teach you to think intensively and critically, and if you've had an education recently in this country, it's done the opposite. So you'll have to trust me on this. You can have intermediaries between you and the people you're controlling, and they don't really see you. You could have something that you would like to happen. You, would, you could have the ability to move the agitations of the crowd so that they have a wonderful resemblance to the sea, in the words of an, a, a, a very you know, ancient old Roman emperor. Okay, You can do that. And you could have those movements go where you want them to. Even if the people are almost equally divided and each takes an opposite position as long as it's inside your framework of what they think is the government. That can happen. And it happens every day. And it's why if you're anywhere inside that sphere where you choose to believe one side or the other because it benefits you, you cannot see clearly what is going on in the world. And the number one tool that is used is emotion. People are all emotional about things right now that don't affect them, and they're like meh about things that absolutely affect them. It, it, it's, a, it's a complete inverse relationship. The attention is going where it is least required. And the apathy is going where it is least useful to be apathetic about a thing. Apathy is actually a very strong tool in humans. And it's why they've convinced you that all apathy is bad. Being apathetic toward things that do not really affect you or that are not in your best interest to, to take up is very, very powerful because it frees your mind to put your attention and your energy where it's most useful to you. Do you understand that? So the best thing I can do to control a population is what? I can get you to focus on things you should be apathetic toward so that you will ignore things that I don't want you to pay attention to. One more time. The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. We do not have true education in this country. We have indoctrination and programming. And the more you understand that, the more you can break free from it. Because none of us are totally free from it. None of us are totally free from it. I don't care if you're 85 years old and you think you predate all this shit. You do not. Go watch some old war propaganda films from, from the period of World War II and see how much propaganda was actually just less subtle back then because it was easier to pull over on people because they were more likely to just buy into it. They've gotten more subtle, and they've gotten more skilled with propaganda. And no matter how much you break free of the Matrix, it always pulls. Maybe Matrix is a bad analogy. For you Trek nerds, right, my fellow Star Trek nerds, a better analogy 
to breaking free of this collective controlled mindset would be the whole Seven of Nine saga from Voyager. Where even when she was free of the Borg Collective, there were certain things about it she missed. I guess there was a character in Matrix like that too, but he wanted to go back in. But instead, Seven of Nine struggled with being pulled back toward. I'm telling you, even those who think they're the most free among us in thinking, we struggle because we are pulled by our emotions. When you find yourself saying, but if we don't then... And there's even that hint of desperation in your voice. You're not being led by logic and reason. You're being led by emotion. And if you think your rulers do not understand how it is to, how easy it is to lead people by emotion, that's your programming. With that, let's talk about something totally different. Let, well, actually, no. Let's go right into it, man. Let's just dig on from there. The Ron Paul Liberty highlights in order of who you'll hear. Ron Paul on America's dire financial position. Dan McAdams on why non-intervention in Ukraine is not pro-Russian, it's rather pro-American. And Chris Rossini on why the government hates gold and loves fiat. You know, one thing that happens uh, in the midst of a crisis like this, and, and they won't admit where the real problem is, and that is debt and uh, monetizing the debt and causing the destruction of the value of the dollar, uh, they, they, they can't give in to that because it would mean cutting spending. And uh, the big guys don't want this kind of spending. And the little people have been conditioned to believe, well, you can't live without, you know, checks coming from the government. So it's gonna, it's not going to happen that way. Unfortunately, we're going to have a wipeout. And, uh, you, you know, to, to the point where a lot of suffering occurs. And then somebody, in order to, to salvage the nation, people will have to uh, put people in charge that will develop a new monetary system more like what the founder envisaged. The only way I see uh, that, that we can really, uh, you know, counteract this is through uh, competition and ideas, getting the ideas up. There's enough Internet left, enough energy left for people to get together. Yes, it's risky. When you practice it, mo most of the things we do now, if they tell you you can't say that, you're practicing civil disobedience. But it, it is a shame. I think the confrontation has to be resistance, peaceful resistance, and get enough people. But you have, a, have to have a lot of people spreading the message of liberty. Because if they don't have a concept of what liberty means, they don't know what they're really defending. But I think we're making progress there. I think uh, uh, there's a much better understanding of Austrian economics and personal liberty than there was when I went to Congress a long time ago. So it's there. The founders had a good grasp of it, and we lost it, especially in the last hundred years. And that, of course, was with the progressive revolution of the early part of the last century. But that's, that is passing now. It's being found not to be workable. And fortunately for us, it's going to be unwound. But we have to do our best to present the cause of liberty and get more and more people to understand exactly what that means. And the good news is that I think this, this latest chapter with, with Russia and eastern Ukraine has really exposed the absolute failure of U.S. interventionism and the maintenance of a U.S. empire. Uh, it's, it's, completely, it's completely done. You know, the center can't hold. The U.S. can't maintain the empire. Uh, for all the people that say that we have to rule the world, this has shown that we literally cannot. We cannot do it. So the good news, I think, is good news for the American people. It's not pro-Russia good news. I couldn't care less whether Russia recognizes Timbuktu. It's good news for America because it shows that a pro-America foreign policy is staying out of the affairs, 
don't cause these problems to begin with, and you won't have to spend trillions of dollars trying to solve them six, seven, eight, ten, twenty years in Afghanistan down the road. So I think it's exposed. I think it's a great opportunity for us to tell our message. We don't need this. It's pro-America to be non-interventionist. And this is a great time to shout it from the treetops. Well, yeah, Dr. Paul, as you well know, governments hate gold, uh, primarily because they can't counterfeit it. You know, you can dig gold out of the ground, uh, and it's, but it's very hard, very costly. So you can have inflation even with gold. They also hate it, uh, because it's physical. You know, if somebody asks you, you know, where's your money? You can show them that here, this is my money. I have it in my possession. Uh, governments don't like that. They like counterfeiting digits, which is what we have today. Uh, the, the, with the dollars. Now, why would they want to counterfeit money? Well, why would anybody want to counterfeit money? Uh, what about you, dear viewer? If you had the ability to create money out of nothing and then go out into the marketplace and buy whatever you want, what are all the things you could probably think forever of all the cars and the houses? And you wouldn't even have to work. You could just create the money out of thin air. Now, obviously, for you and for everyone else besides the Fed, this is illegal and rightfully so. But the Fed can do it, and, uh, you know, the government relies on it. So the reason why government likes this is because government people in government aren't interested in getting more money. I mean, they're already rich as it is. They have the houses. They have the cars. They want to counterfeit to increase power. That's what's behind. That's their motivation to fund wars for welfare. Dependency. When they have people in debt and dependent, they have power over you. That's why they want to counterfeit. And they can't do that uh, with gold. They can't counterfeit it. They'd have to go dig it up. So power is restrained with gold, and they don't want power to be restrained. They want unlimited power. And that's why now when they go create $6 trillion, $7 trillion, they go do whatever they want, and it doesn't matter what we think or say about it. So their power is unrestrained exactly as they want it. And unrestrained power, for anybody that has an even inkling of knowledge of history, knows that it leads to total destruction of the money, of the economy, of the culture, of everything, which is why no one, not people, not the Fed, not the government, should ever be allowed to counterfeit money. Well, I'll start out with those are three great segments uh, from Ron and his team. And I, and as always, I am I'm humbled that we have... Uh, the formal partnership that we do that, that they're giving us and providing us these weekly segments for this audience. Uh, so huge thank you to Chris Rossini over there who heard with their anchor position, uh, there, uh, who, who made that happen and continues to make that happen for us. Um, I think Ron's discussion on the dire financial position this country is in is something that probably warrants a full discussion next week. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think Dan McAdams' position that we need to not be involved with Ukraine um, may become, unfortunately, more clear if we do not stay the hell out of this, which we may or may not. And I'll save my rest of my thoughts on that for my segment, which, again, will be done with a live stream on YouTube as well. I want to say a little bit about what Chris is saying about government hating gold and loving fiat. I think everything he said would also apply to Bitcoin, and maybe more so because I can move Bitcoin frictionless from here to Tokyo by simply going to Tokyo, and I still have possession of my Bitcoin. I have possession of a thing that you can't determine that I have possession of. But either way, what you're looking at is hard money and soft money. That's the real delineation here. Fiat, I don't even like the term fiat for the U.S. dollar, because fiat, as bad as it is, 
is not as bad. A true fiat is not as bad as what we have. We have a debt-backed currency by fiat. A, a, a simple fiat currency would be the government says we're printing money. We print money, and this is how we do it, and here's our money. And we're going to issue this many new dollars, yen, whatever, this year. And we're going to control the monetary supply through the issuance of money. And we're going to put in anti-counterfeiting measures. And then, therefore, we know the supply. And then the economy gives the money value. Actually, if you had something that I don't believe you can have, which is a responsible government overseeing it, can work. It's, if you don't think it can work, then, well, what we have is worse. And it works, big you know, air quotes around it. Um, you could say the U.S. currency doesn't work, but it's been dramatically stable for over a century. It's the envied currency of all other you know nations in the world. That doesn't mean it's good. It's just better than everybody else's. It works, but it's how it works. The real difference here isn't just they can counterfeit it and have more. The reason they love what they call fiat currency, the reason they love dollars, the reason they love soft money, the reason they love deflationary currencies, I'm sorry, inflationary currencies, the reason they love them, because it works great for borrowers. It works great for debt. You don't want to borrow gold and have to pay back gold. You don't want to borrow Bitcoin and have to pay back Bitcoin. I want to use Bitcoin, and I want to borrow against Bitcoin, but I want to borrow dollars, and I want to collateralize with real hard money. The rich have done this forever with real estate. They love it. They love a currency that loses value over time, leveraged into a property, real estate, or Bitcoin, or gold, that appreciates over time. It's a winning game, and it works great for them. And we can rail against it all we want, and I would love to see it go away. I would love to see us return to true hard money. However we did it, I would love to see it, because we start building seven generations in the future in our minds when we do that. With, the, with a fiat currency, with a def, with an inflationary currency, with soft money, we spend for the day like there is to, tomorrow because there won't be, and it'll be somebody else's problem by then. But since it's not going to happen, my position is we need to build up stores of real property and use their fiat money the same way that they do instead of like the little peons that they want us to be. With that, let's hear from Ken Berry on getting the jab if you are a woman with a baby, and you're nursing. I say, no! Let's see what Ken says. Hello, Jack and the TSP crew. This is Dr. Ken Berry answering a question today from Aaron. Uh, and this, this answer is going to apply with anyone who has children or grandchildren. Aaron says, my wife is nursing our infant. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. She's getting a huge amount of pressure from her work, clients, friend, family, to get the jab. I, I say, hold on. Uh, they claim the baby needs the antibodies. I look and find babies are rarely getting sick from this. I don't see the need. My wife is 41 healthy and may have already had COVID in, back in 2019. Her profession is mental health care, and she's likely going to be required to get the vaccine in order to see clients in person. She's doing telehealth exclusively right now. What do you say, Dr. Berry? I say that all children so far that have been infected with COVID-19 99.99% of them, it's like a bad cold or a mild flu. They're sick for a few days and then they get over it. 99.99% uh, of children do not die from catching this virus. It is just like a case of the flu for young, healthy children. 
so it definitely while she's nursing, I would I would avoid the jab at all costs. Uh, if she has to get it for her work, uh, if you guys are good friends with a doctor who offers the jab in their clinic or a pharmacist who offers the jab in, the, in their pharmacy, you might be able to work out a way where she can, quote, unquote, get the jab. And you guys are all common sense uh, prepared people, so I think you can get my meaning from that. Um, but if you have to get the jab, as long as you're metabolically healthy and you're not obese or have type 2 diabetes, I think you're probably pretty safe getting it. But there's not nearly enough research to, to, for us to take this jab blindly without doing our own research. So I think your intuition is exactly right that she probably shouldn't do this while she's breastfeeding. I don't think any mom should get the jab while she is pregnant or trying to get pregnant until more research is available. Hope this answer helps. This is Dr. Barry. See you guys next time. I, I completely agree with a nursing woman shouldn't do this and a baby doesn't need it. And I would say that it, it, when Ken gave you that number of like 99.99% of children to get this, it's very mild uh, or it's like a bad cold or a, a mild flu. It's actually the case, and, and I know plenty of people who have kids who have had COVID, that most of the time you don't even know the kid has it. My, my, my son and my daughter-in-law both had COVID. They both had symptoms. They both had positive tests. They lived in the home with their two children, my two grandchildren, for the entire time. The children never developed any symptoms. They didn't even show any symptoms. They were asymptomatic, right? I guarantee you they were exposed. They probably had the virus in their system. They were all, like, when you even hear a kid died every single time when they claim it was a healthy kid, you do any investigation. They had like 87 problems. Autoimmune cancer, you know, on the edge of death from leukemia. They died of COVID. Come on. No. This illness poses no risk at all to healthy young children. The end. If it ever happens, you'll hear about it 24-7, 365 for six months. You don't hear about it because it doesn't happen. And the few times they've tried to do it, because we do live in a world where you can fact check now, they've been found out. Like the healthy girl in Florida that had leukemia, like three autoimmune conditions, etc. But she was given medicine endorsed by Trump. Yeah, all the way back then. It was bullshit then, it's bullshit now. Where I'm a little bit more, don't do this, don't get this jab. If you're at this point unjabbed, I see little value to getting jabbed now. Because even if it worked as good as they said it did, and it didn't, it did have some, like those of you that think it didn't work at all, you're wrong. On the original variant, it had some impact on staving off critical illness and hospitalization and death in the population that was most vulnerable to it. They have not been able to keep up with the mutations. They're not going to be able to keep up the mutations. And the virus is largely attenuated to where it has a lower death rate in all of, of demographics than the flu. And we need to treat it like the flu. And if you really want to get a jab, go ahead and get it. But if you are a young, healthy individual and you're getting a jab, I'm going to tell you right now, there is a risk that it could harm you. I'm not saying it will. I don't think everybody gets a jab is going to die. I don't think people saying that are helping us, okay, at all. But there is a risk. There is a risk that you could have a heart attack as a 24-year-old. There's a risk that you could experience myocarditis as a young male in particular. And you have to start asking yourself, why is it causing myocarditis in 18-year-old males but not 18-year-old females? 
They don't know the answer to that. I'm not about to get a medication that has that side effect, and they don't even know why. It's rare, and don't worry about it. Most people recover. Most people who experience myocarditis are dead within five years. Any human being who has damage to their heart can never recover from the damage. The heart can never be repaired. You can't recover damage to a heart. You say, oh, it can't be done. And it's simple to understand why. What is the heart? It is a muscle. We call it an organ, but it's a muscle. Liver is an organ. It's not made of muscle fibers, right? Your stomach is an organ. It's not made of muscle fibers. Your kidneys are not made of muscle fibers. Those are true organs. The heart is a muscle. It's a muscle. And it goes boom, 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 boom. And when it stops, what are you? Dead. When you damage muscle, how do you get it to recover? You rest it. How are you going to rest your heart? So when somebody gets myocarditis, which is heart inflammation, and it damages their heart, they cannot recover from it. If you have lived this long, you're going to be okay with COVID. And we have to start understanding how much we've been lied to. I'm not going to go off a soapbox on that, but I would just say, you'd have to put a gun to my head to get me to do it at this point. And I know everybody just thinks Jack's anti-vax. I'm not. I've had every vaccine that makes sense for a person my age to have that's been proven to actually be effective. And I don't, the word safe, I don't even like. Like safe and effective. Is it effective? That's one question. And then the question is, well, how safe is it? Or how much risk is there to it? I find this one to be very ineffective and have a higher risk. And if I had felt at this point or anywhere along the way that my risk of COVID exceeded my risk of the vaccine, I would have chosen to get vaccinated. I have simply made a medical decision based on all available information that it's the other way around. That the risk to my health, especially having had and recovered from COVID now, is greater from the vaccine than it is from COVID itself. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about getting started in the hobby as a new beekeeper. A mellow jello hello to all my fine fellows out there from the me to the we. I hope you're getting our signal, telegraphing our discord through the Twitter and the parlor. I hope you're looking our float in the new era of Michael Jordan. The Bee Whisper of a bee-friendly company located in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'm on Instagram, found mostly on Facebook. I run my mouth a lot on TikTok. And I'm here to take your questions on bees, apiary management, and the making of meads. And it's been a long time no here. Super glad to get a great question. And it comes from Zeb. Zeb, man, my dude. What is the most cost-effective and easiest pathway for someone to start working with bees as a hobby and a beginner? Zeb lives in northeast Georgia. Uh, he doesn't have any restriction other than his size of his lot. And he just wants to know what kind of products, books, websites, actions can he take and get started to becoming more than a hobby beekeeper. So Zeb, you know, <laughs> thanks for the question. And that's a, that's great down to earth because for years I taught people what they wanted to know and not really what we do. So I'm going to tell you what we do. 
right? Uh, my man, you live in Georgia, and I'm going to shoot out some names to you. You know, you have the fat bee man out there at Dixieland Honey, I believe what it is. Great dude. The man in beekeeping in your area. Take some classes. In fact, that gentleman will set you up with 25 hives on a commercial program and get you an internship on his stuff. Right your local area. So that's like the best gift I'm going to give you is a commercial beekeeper in your area that teaches beekeeping to be a hobby commercial beekeeper. And join an organization that helps each other in your area. See, I have one in my area, right? I'm Michael Jordan with AB Friendly Company. And I teach the M3911 system. And the people that work with me and do the stuff do the same thing. We help support each other and get everybody just like you that wants to start where to begin. All right. So... I want you to go ahead and I want you to pick up a book called Man Lake Limited or Danit or, man, there's a, there's a lot more out there. But those are like the big ones. And those are magazines that have beekeeping products in them. Hives, spinners, books, knowledge, teaching equipment, bottling equipment, fermentation. I mean, they're beekeepers that own companies that supply products. Right, so you need to get a book like that and kind of look and see what everything costs and what everything's going through, right? So now that you've got this book and you're starting to get this knowledge, right, you need to find, if you can take a sting, and your laws. And after you find those two things, you're going to join a program locally, right? Hopefully, like, you have a, like, the Platte County Beekeepers Association. Right, and your county, these little group of beekeepers meet, and one guy's got one beehive in his yard, and there's a guy that belongs to the Georgia State Beekeepers Association that kind of helps mentor them all. Right? So you try to join a group, an organization, because the whole thing that you're trying to learn is a system and repetition. In martial arts, repetition is key. It builds reaction and... It makes things move swiftly with reputation. So your first year, I want you to hunt down everything I just said. Can you take a sting? What are your laws? Register your site. Find like a beekeeper that works in the area or a group or an organization that you can start getting information from locally because it has to do with your history, right? And once you get all that kind of figured out after your first year of being involved with all this and kinding of your information, you're going to sit down and you get your budget, right? And I'm going to tell you, right, that like for three grand, you're going to have three to five beehives and just enough knowledge to get in trouble. And that's where it's going to start because you're going to start looking into those magazines and seeing that if I can make my own hardware, it's going to be better. So I'm hoping that I've kind of set you in a great direction, right? That in Georgia, you should look up Greg Burns Sr. Or you should look up Dixieland Bees with the Fat Bee Man. 
Or you should drive up a little bit in Ode, Ohio and see Greg Burns, Nature Image Farm. I mean, those are great beekeepers. I mean, there's a lot, but those are guys that I know that AB Friendly stamps, right? That AB Friendly Company has a mark, right? That we recommend certain agencies and stuff because of what we do. And I recommend those guys in your area. I teach at the University of Wyoming's Bee College every year. It's coming up in March. And I teach a couple different programs from commercial beekeeping to beginning beekeeping to honey flow. And there's a lot of things you're going to have to know. And you're not going to learn this trade or this hobby in a year's time. As you read books, most beekeepers learn it in three to four years. And in five to six years, hobby beekeepers either make the push and keep doing it or they quit. So those are some things that I can tell you right now. I recommend Penn State. I recommend Montana State, Pennsylvania, Ohio. There's a lot of good beekeeping programs and colleges. Information is key. Any book, any, any knowledge is power. And it's just how you perceive it and use it. Uh, I do a lot of things that a lot of people don't like. And there's a lot of things people do that I don't like. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't work for them. And I want you to remember that. That just because it doesn't work for me doesn't mean it won't work for you. And if it doesn't work for you, doesn't mean it's not working for me. Right? And that's why I think you should work with somebody that does beekeeping over a two-year time period as you read and know this stuff. To see the cost and what, you know. And working with somebody helps. And I think that's the best thing I can give you. So I want to let you know, thank you for the question. If you need any more information, hit me up at abfriendlycompany at gmail.com. Sorry, it's been a long time out. But it's been crazy here and some petroleum company and bee business and entertainment. and Man, we're doing all kinds of stuff. Keep your questions coming. And I hope you all have a great and beautiful new year. Uh, brew a little mead. And help your fellow man. I'm Michael Jordan with AB Friendly Company. And thank you for your question. All right. Next up, we are going to talk about choosing a top quilt. What the hell is a top quilt? Well, you'll find out during this segment with Jessica Dixie Mills. Hey, TSPers. Jessica Dixie Mills here from Homemade Wanderlust over in YouTube land to answer a question for Kyle. The question is, how do you determine the right temperature rating for a top quilt? Details. I'm looking at getting my first top quilt and switching from a mummy bag. I have no experience with top quilts, and I'm looking at a 30 degree and a 15 degree. I want to have as low rating as possible, but I'm worried about being too warm. Majority of the trips I go on, the nights will be between 40 and 65 degrees. If it's helpful, I am both a tent and hammock camper and use a Sea to Summit pad with an R value of 3.7, I believe. Again, I'd like to have as much versatility as possible without overheating. Any advice or insight would be appreciated. Thanks to you and Jack for all you do, Kyle. Well, hey, Kyle. Thank you so much for the question, and welcome to the world of being a quilter. I made the switch from a mummy bag to a quilt three years ago now, and I haven't looked back. And for those of you all not familiar with backpacking quilts, it's not a quilt that your granny sat in a rocking chair and, you know, made for you. And these are actually very similar to regular mummy backpacking bags that you see out there on the trail, but they don't have 
a zipper. They don't zip up and cocoon you. They actually strap to your sleeping pad so that you're laying directly on the sleeping pad. And you might think, oh my gosh, well, I would be so much colder. But the part of the sleeping bag that you lay on when you sleep is compressed anyway. So the insulation and the fabric there isn't really offering you any warmth, especially if you've got a down bag and it's completely compressed. So having that added weight of the material and the insulation is just extra that you, you really don't need. And it's also really nice, the quilt, for people who are warmer sleepers and want some versatility to throw a leg out if they get too warm, or for people like me that toss and turn a lot and don't like the restricted feeling of a mummy bag and, you know, sometimes it can be kind of claustrophobic-like. And then having to worry about when you do toss and turn where the zipper is because it really is supposed to be under you when you sleep because that's where warmth will escape from. So if it's on, if you're laying on your back and it zips up on your belly, well, you're letting all that heat out there. So anyway, Moving on, Kyle, you said you're deciding between a 30 degree and a 15 degree. So I would say there are several things that you should consider before making a purchase. First, is the 15 and 30 degree rating a comfort rating or is it a survival rating? Because if it's a comfort rating, then either one of them should be comfortably warm enough for you and the temperatures you specified you will be out in. But if it's survival then that 30 degrees, you need to find out what the comfort rating actually is of that because if your lower range of what you're going to be camping in could be in the low 40s and possibly even upper 30s if there's a colder snap, then you need to make sure you've got your bases covered. And companies aren't always super clear in their description of whether it's comfort or survival. So even if you have to email them and find out I would do that, but you, you do need to know that. Another thing to think about, how cold-natured are you as an individual? If you're generally someone who is warm and you're not cold often and you sleep pretty warm, you find yourself getting hot at night, then I'd go with the 30 degree. Um, and if you're wondering why he's deciding between 30 and 15 and what's the big deal, there can definitely be some weight savings there. So, uh, But if you're someone who is cold-natured, then I might go for the 15 degree. I'm very cold natured when I sleep, but I'm guessing that you are a warmer sleeper because of the way you said, I'm worried I'm going to be too hot. And for those of us who are cold natured, we never have that fear. We, we are worried we're going to be freezing. So I feel like you're leaning towards the 30 already. And if it's a comfort rated 30 degree bag, then I feel like you're going to be good if you are going to be in those temperatures, the 65 down to 40. But finally, what sleeping bag are you in right now? What temperature rating is your sleeping bag? That's another consideration because if you're comfortable in a 30 degree sleeping bag right now, then that should transfer over the same rating would be fine for a quilt. Uh, a side note, I do think that your R rating on your sleeping pad is good for the temperature range that you'll be in because it's recommended for three season weather to have at least a two R value for your sleeping pad. And finally, this quilt that you get should work for you in either your tent or your hammock. But if you're going to be hammocking, then I'd recommend swapping out your sleeping pad for an underquilt in the hammock 
it can be pretty drafty under a hammock. I mean, it sounds like you have experience with this, um, but I've found not having a sleeping pad and an underquilt instead is more comfortable than trying to make sure I stay on the sleeping pad so I have that insulation. Anyway, Kyle, I hope that that helps. I can say that Enlightened Equipment has been a good brand to me in quilts. I like the strap system and how they attach to the sleeping pad. Um, so you can give them a check out on the internet and they do have custom quilts so you can pick all your colors and the denier, the thickness of the fabric that you want, your insulation, or you can go with some of their options that are ready to ship so you don't have that several week lead time. All right. Well, thanks for having me back on the show, guys. It's been a while. If you want to learn more about backpacking or just experience what backpacking is like from the comfort of your couch, then you can tune into my channel, Homemade Wanderlust, over on YouTube. All right. See y'all later. Good stuff there. Let's now hear from uh, Patrick Rohrman on getting started making knives. And while he doesn't invoke the term What he's talking about here is a lack of self-confidence and something we talked about a lot before in the past, the toolbox fallacy. Hey guys, it's Patrick with MT Knives coming to you today with today's expert counsel question of the week. This week question came in um, as an email I got. I was asked by a up-and-coming knife maker if I could help give him some tips on how to get started in the knife making world. Um, <clears throat> I ended up just giving him a phone call, talking to him for a while. But in the conversation, towards the end of the conversation, he mentioned that he felt like his holdup was having the right equipment and investing in equipment. And he wanted to know how to make money and uh, get the equipment he needed to make better knives. So in most people's cases, their problem isn't the lack of equipment. There's two ways to learn. There's experience and education. Experience is just going to come from practice, getting out there and doing the work. And education comes from finding a teacher, somebody who is more knowledgeable in a subject than you are, who can teach you and show you what they've learned over their experience and their education. So you go to school on the first one. One of the most important things is to actually get out there and start making. One of my mentors said he helped a lot of people learn how to make knives. People would come to him and say, Hey, I want to make a knife. He would bring them into his shop show them how it's done. Um, they would make their first knife. They'd enjoy it. They'd go home and never make another knife again. Well, it didn't take him real long to learn that he wasn't helping anybody in that situation. He was shutting down his production, spending his time investing it into somebody else's future, and instead they just simply wanted to make one knife and be done. So he started uh, telling people that would come to him and say, hey, you know, I'd like to learn how to make knives. He would say, go home, make a knife, bring it to me, and I'll tell you how you can do it better. Well, most people are 
going to go home and do nothing. So I've, I've always remembered that story that he told me and I've taken it to heart. You do not want to invest time or money into somebody who's not willing to do the work, right? So it is a very difficult thing. It is a thing that even I struggle with thinking that I just need this other piece of equipment or, you know, whatever. But it also reminds me of when I worked for the power company, one of the first companies I worked for was called Aquila. And when I studied the history of that company, I come to find out that this guy who built the company started off going out and like borrowing money from some guy for like a shovel and went out, did a job, you know, earned some money, paid for that shovel, um, continued to earn money, put it back into his business and build a reputation with this uh, investor of his to where he had, he bought the uh, power grid and even the gas grid and owned, uh, provided service to a large portion of Missouri with electric and gas. So, uh, and even, I, I really like that story because it reminded me of a lot of some of the things that I have done when I was younger. Uh, I put flyers up in the grocery store back before the internet and uh, with my phone number, say, hey, you know, I can shovel snow, I can do repair work. And lo and behold, somebody would take my number, call me, and I'd get some jobs. And a lot of the jobs that I did back in those days, a lot of times it was just to pay for the tools to do the job. And I gained knowledge doing some of those jobs. A lot of times I would do jobs that I didn't even necessarily know how to do properly, but I would do my research and do them and uh, build a build a base of business. So anyways, um, if you want to learn how to make knives or if you want to learn anything, go to the, the people who are the experts, find the most knowledgeable person on the subject you can find, learn from them. It's going to accelerate your uh, ability. You're going to learn things that would take you years to learn in weeks or months. And it really is the original um, education model, the apprenticeship model, not the worthless educations that we get in college. It's like a trade school. Um, there is a place for that type of education, but in something like knife making, or many other careers out there, you can go and find somebody, you can learn from them, you can accelerate your learning, and then you can get out there and earn money to buy equipment. So I hope you guys enjoyed this segment. If you guys have questions, feel free to send them in. I'm more than happy to share what I know and uh, hope other people get out there and get into the knife making. It is a saturated field nowadays, but there's uh, always room for the next Bob Loveless or uh, K-Bar, any of these big companies. They all start it just like you and I with a passion to learn something new and getting out there and doing it. So 
get out there, take hold, and learn something new. This has been Patrick Rohrman with MT Knives. Have a great day. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that can learn from that and take it outside of knife, knife making. There's so many places where people say they want to learn how to do a thing, but what they really want is to do a thing once, or they like the idea of doing a thing, and they're, they're trying to talk themselves out of doing the thing by convincing themselves they need one more thing. And I think it's important that we identify our true desires and our true passions, and then we go pursue them. And I, I also think it's important that we don't let fear that we'll fail prevent us from pursuing something that could turn into a passion. And I think that, uh, that's knife-making is one of those things. And I think we should all just, if you feel you want to do something, try it. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm terrible at drawing. And it's very frustrating because I have this mind where I can literally see a thing that doesn't exist yet. Like when somebody talks about putting a deck on a house, I can see it down to the dimensions and the board's lumber and how far apart the the, 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 the treks will be and what a rail will look like. And I can see it like that. And I can't draw a straight line to save my life. And so when it comes to like doing landscape design and stuff like that, I use bubble diagrams, and it still looks like god-awful crap. And when I took a course with Dave Jackie one time, he said, do you know what we call this stuff in, in design school? And I said, no, I don't. He said, we call it trash. So you can, like, like whatever you draw, nine times out of ten, you're going to throw it away anyway. And you're only going to come up with a final design in the end. So you have to look at it all as garbage. And then you will be free to do the best you can with what you're trying to accomplish. And I think, like, so if you're going to make a knife, and your first knife might come out, out like god-awful crap, but you just, you just accept that, or whatever you're trying to do, a podcast, your first one's going to suck. It's okay. There's times even now, been doing this for 14 years, and there's times even now when I do a podcast, I go, that was not my best work. It's okay. Sometimes we bomb. It happens. It's okay. Don't look for a reason not to start, though. Starting is always the key. Next up, Nick Ferguson on Fodder Trees. Hey, guys. Nick Ferguson here with a food security answer for a listener named Rebecca. Can I feed any species of willow, poplar, or mulberry trees as fodder, or should they be specific species? We just bought a house with some property, and there are willow, poplar, and mulberry trees on the land. That's awesome. Although the one mulberry tree is not producing fruit, I was not able to find specifics when I researched online, but did find that there are many species of each of these trees. That's true. I noticed that the ones on Nick Ferguson's website say hybrid in front of the name. Maybe you can clarify which species are best or if all species of these trees can be used as fodder. Thank you, Becky. Yes, Becky, those wild types can all be used, no problem. Any willows, that's anything in the Salix genus, that I'm aware of are fine for feeding most herbivores. There might be some exceptions, so I'm not 100% positive, but as far as I know, they're all fine. Same with the populous genus, that's cottonwoods, aspen, or what we're calling poplar. Uh, sorry, yeah, poplar. Um, and uh, the white mulberry, red mulberry, and hybrids between the two species are just fine for fodder. Again, I like to use genus and species, so we're talking about Morris uh, rubra, Morris alba, and then crosses between those two. I always encourage my clients and customers to make use of what you have 
on site. Just about everyone can be coppicing and pollarding numerous types of trees that are already growing on your property, already established, ready to grow, and don't cost anything. So here are a few reasons why you might want to buy select fodder trees. If you just want to be 100% positive that what you're growing and cutting to feed is exactly the right kind of tree for your critters. Number two, you have more money than time and just want those identified trees going now and you don't want to chance the possibility that you're feeding a poisonous tree to your $600 animal or your $60,000 flock of animals. That's a pretty good reason in my book. Or number three, you want trees that are going to grow a bit faster and have more protein per acre under production. And that last thing is what the hybrid trees are all about. The hybrids grow faster and they produce more per acre. Other than that, they're not all that special. You might get a 10 to 20% bump in production, maybe a little bit higher. Um, and that might be a lot and totally worth it for you. It might not. But I can say if you have a lot of, you know, like a, a, a land lot of 100 established willows and cottonwoods, for example, that are already growing, then I'd just say get them into production and just run with it. I mean, they're already there. They're already going. Chop them down, coppice them, get them producing, and go with it. So, to recap, yes, you can feed most any of those wild trees. If you want to get the absolute most out of your property, your time investment, the square footage, then get hybrid trees and maybe something with a little bit more high-protein leaf matter like white mulberry. Let's put it this way. I'm supposedly an expert in this stuff, although the more I learn, the more I feel like I know next to nothing, but I'm kind of digressing. I'm someone who geeks out on this stuff daily. Uh, I have wild willows on my property. I have ash. I have all sorts of oaks, other trees that I can use for fodder. I have mulberry on my property, and you know what I'm planting? I'm planting hybrid willow, hybrid poplar, and white mulberry. Although, in the future, that white mulb is going to end up being the mainstay in the vast majority of my production, just because of the, the protein content. Um, but, uh, you know, the poplar and willow will remain as variety, and I'll be using them for biochar production. But the main reason is to get fast production for the first few years while I'm propagating and planting out thousands of mulberry trees. Because those mulberry trees grow a little bit slower. They take a few years to really get into good production. So I want something to bump up the, the harvest for the in, those intervening years while I'm getting a whole bunch of mulberry trees propagated and planted out and grown up big enough that I can start cutting and harvesting a bunch from. So... I could have used the wild types, but I'm serious about production, so I'm using the best stock I can for my production needs. But by all means, I'd rather see every single one of the audience going out and experimenting with what you have right now. You know, go out there, get those trees cut so they'll sprout up from the stump ASAP so you can get something going with fodder trees this year. I hope that cleared things up and helped you out. Uh, keep these great questions coming. Do good things. Well, great stuff from Nick Ferguson there. Uh, now moving forward uh, with my anchor segment for today, what we're going to be talking about is what the hell is actually going on in Ukraine. 
And we're also going to address the concept that I've been told many times today, Jack, you were wrong. Was I wrong? Yes and no. Okay, and I'm going to start off with that because we'll get through that. Then we can talk about what's actually going on. What I've been saying is that the Biden administration has been playing for a Cuban Missile Crisis moment. That they didn't think Ukraine would be invaded by Russia. And I, I said the same thing. I didn't think that Putin would invade Ukraine. And you say, no, he did now. See, you're wrong. We'll, let, we'll get there. But that, that was what the Biden was planning on. That he would throw all this tough talk. And then when it didn't happen, he would claim he backed down Putin. I think that was the game he played. But as typical, the potato-in-chief is not good at any of the game that he plays. He ran his mouth too much, and he revealed too much, and Putin said, hey, I got an opportunity here. Right, so I think that's that's kind of how that went down. I think the less we would do there, uh, and, and Ron Paul's segment earlier on the show, for those that are just watching the live feed, he talked about non-intervention as well. Uh, and and uh, Dan McAdams over there said, you know, being non-interventionist is not pro-Putin or pro-Russia. It's actually pro-American. And I'm going to need people to check your emotions in a lot of what I'm going to say today. There's going to be some things that I'm going to say today that um, that will sound pro-Putin maybe because saying someone did something right or someone has an intention that's not exactly always wrong Um tends to be seen as a wholesale endorsement because people are very emotionally led in our world today. If you're like me and you're in my age bracket, I'm 50 years old. I grew up at a time where we still had uh, nuclear drills and the Russians were the bad guys and every every little boy uh, went outside and played Red Dawn after we watched the movie and wanted to be like Patrick Swayze or what have you. And it's very hard to disconnect yourself from the concept that the Russians are the bad guys, the Russians are the enemies. And if you followed me for any length of time, you should know that I, I don't divide us into enemies that way. I divide us into enemies as there's people that are pro-liberty, and there's people that are pro-tyranny, and they just want their particular flavor of tyranny. So when you say Vladimir Putin's a thug, it's not that I disagree, it's that I, I disagree that Joe Biden's not a thug, that Donald Trump wasn't a thug, that Justin Trudeau's not a thug, that freaking what's-his-name running the UK right now is not a thug, that... I, I completely agree with the fact that every politician is a thug willing to use force to get what they want and to stay in power. So if I say anything today that you think, oh, and here, like this right here, this is what I want to shut down. Plan propagation. Taiwan next. Probability of World War III if that occurs. Stop it. Especially young people. Those of you who didn't ever go out into a hallway or climb under your desk and put your head between your legs and kiss your ass goodbye during a drill because we might get bombed by the Russians. Stop the fucking hysteria. Relax. Relax. Because that's exactly what the people in power don't want you to do right now, is to realize how insignificant this really is in your life. Not in the lives of Ukraine. Not in the lives of Russians. Especially not in the people that are in, uh, in eastern Ukraine. Not insignificant for them. Insignificant for you. And let's start off with that. So what you're going to hear is all these bleeding heart cases now of why we need to get involved and how evil Putin is and how desperate these people are for our help. There's a little less than, I think, 200 countries in the world total. At any given time, about a quarter of them, about you know, 50 of them, are fucking with about 50 other countries. And there's always one side that's worse than the other side. Okay? 
Always one side is worse than the other side. And we'll get to Taiwan here, but not in the way you think in just a minute. So are we supposed to get involved with all of them? Are we supposed to try to settle the scores in Central Africa and pick the right side to get involved? Do we, do, are we supposed to continue getting involved with all these countries in the Middle East that have conflicts that date back thousands of years and we're going to go fix it magically with our magic powers? How did that work out in Iraq? How did that work out in Afghanistan? Do you think the people of Saudi Arabia are better off with us continuously propping up the royal family there because we like some of the things that they do? Or do you think maybe everybody would be better off if the biggest powerful kid on the in the playground stopped pushing people and picking sides in every single fight? And I simply look at Ukraine and I say this is no different than any other time. But Ukraine's our ally. Stop it. How? How is Ukraine our ally? What makes Ukraine an ally? Can you show me the the agreement we have with Ukraine that makes them our ally. Can you show me that agreement? Can you show me where we formally made Ukraine an ally of the United States, where we're under any obligation whatsoever? The whole concept of Ukraine was our ally? If you ask people prior to Trump's first fake impeachment, if Ukraine was our ally, they would say, what is Ukraine? Unless there's somebody like me who grew up, by the way, in a Ukrainian family. Okay? They wouldn't even know what the Ukraine was. Maybe if they watched the Olympics, they'd like, oh, some guy can really skate from Ukraine, man. Where's Ukraine? Maybe even took some time to look it up. They wouldn't know. They, would, they weren't our ally. They weren't our ally until political blood was in the water. And that's what's going on right now, too. That's why Fox News is telling you, hey, you know, Biden's an idiot, but boy, we need to take care of, uh, you know, except for Tucker Carlson, I guess. Everybody on Fox News, we, we got to do something. We got to do something. They're our ally. Why? Because now there's blood in the water for Biden. And people are taking sides in something that literally has no benefit to the American people on either side of it whatsoever. There's no reason for us to invest any money, and there's certainly no reason for us to invest any blood in this. And the idea that it could become World War III, only if we're stupid. Really, 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 really stupid. Well, Putin will just take the whole Ukraine. First of all, I don't think so. Because I don't think it benefits Putin, and I don't think Putin is going to do things that aren't to his benefit. Not because he's a good guy, but because that's what smart politicians do. And this is this is where I'm going to say some things about Putin, and you're going to be like, oh, he's a Putin fan. But if you like Putin, you're going to think, I hate Putin, right? Because it's emotional. And, and, and the reality is that Putin is fucking a smart man. There's a lot of smart people that are bad people. Freaking every James Bond villain and every enemy of Superman was smart, and they were still a bad guy. So don't, don't get emotional about it when I say that. He's a very smart person. Conversely, the Biden administration, not just Biden himself, is made up of morons. You, I, I've talked about forever how we as people are playing chess and our masters are, or checkers and our masters are playing three-dimensional chess. Now it's going on a global scale. You got an idiot that doesn't even know how kinging a piece works in chess running our country. And you got a freaking literal chess master overrunning Russia. And they're going to do what makes, and it's someone saying here, I hear that Ukraine is incredibly corrupt. We're going to get to that too. Ukraine is not our, an ally because they're also a democracy. Ukraine is not a democracy. The, the, the president of Ukraine has had his political opponents arrested simply because they're his political opponents. That is not how democracy works. Democracy, you mean like, can, is Canada a democracy? Right now, does Canada look like a democracy? 
Does the lot of the United States look like a democracy? This word, this this worship word that they've created for us, our democracy. And boy, are the leftist channels going nuts with it right now. CNN and MSNBC, they've cared about nothing but democracy for the past 45 days. Almost like they knew this was coming. Attack on our democracy, 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 democracy. They don't give a shit about democracy. They care about getting what they want. All political thugs do. So let's talk about what's actually happening in Ukraine for just a minute and understand what's going on. And I might say these wrong, because even though I grew up in a Ukrainian family, guess what we didn't do? We didn't speak Ukrainian. We spoke English. We didn't fly the Ukrainian flag. We flew the American flag. And we saw ourselves as Americans first with a Ukrainian heritage that mainly lied in our religion and our food and not much else. I've had a heckler on my blog telling me, you have, the, you have a surname that means you need to stand up for Ukraine. You know what my, and your ancestors would be upset with you, you know, for not standing up for Ukraine right now. You know what my ancestors told me about Ukraine? This family is thriving because we left. And my family had to go through Romania to get to the United States because they were in danger. And if you look back to records of people that were Ukrainian that came to the United States in the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, which is when my family got here, when my grandparents got here, Early 1900s, almost all of them came through Romania. Go do, you want to talk about history? Go find out why. We won't get at it today. We're not going to have a history lesson here. Not much of one, anyway. But there's two provinces, Luhansk and Donetsk, in eastern Ukraine. They're known as breakaway provinces. Do you know what breakaway province means? You know, all of you who are like, you know, maybe Texas should secede from the Union? That's what it means. It means they didn't talk about it. They said, we don't want to be part of Ukraine anymore, and they declared their independence. I, 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 I challenge you guys to go actually look at a fucking map of Ukraine and look at these provinces and look the tiny little fucking geographic area that we're talking about here. So when I said Putin wouldn't invade Ukraine, I'm going to tell you right now, he's done more than I ever thought he would. They took an airfield freaking near Kiev. That's, that's pretty shocking to me. But I do think it's because of the potatoes incompetence. And basically guaranteeing him the U.S. won't do absolutely shit. Now, I don't think we should do anything, but I don't think you should say that publicly and out loud and back channel, by the way, which I know happened, right? I don't think, like, when, when, when Putin went and met with Marcone, and Marcone's like, yeah, we're not going to fucking do that, right? Like, I don't think that was smart. I don't think that was smart. But you're talking about two little areas, and these, these republics long ago said, we are independent. And the Minsk agreement that was signed by the Ukraine, the, the government of Ukraine, and these republics guaranteed them a certain amount of autonomy, which has been continuously violated. And what Putin did is he recognized their sovereignty that they first declared, and well, they're Russia, it's Russia. These are Russian uh, regions historically, they're, they're like 90% ethnic Russians. And you gotta understand something here. I'm gonna talk about somebody else. And you're gonna think I'm defending her. I'm not. I'm pointing out an irony in our misunderstanding of things in the world today with things like race. Remember just a few weeks ago, everybody's losing their shit? Cause Whoopi Goldberg said the Holocaust wasn't about race. And the case she attempted to make was, but it was white people killing white people? Yeah? It was white people killing white people. And yet everybody knows it was about race because the guy behind it wrote a book and said it was about race. They were ethnic Jews and other ethnic minorities that happened to have Caucasian skin. But it was still racist. You don't understand 
If you're watching this from one side right now, and I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN or any American media you're getting your shit from, you're watching it from one side. You don't understand what's going on in this region of the world right now. It is an incredibly racist region, and I'm not saying that because I'm a I believe Putin disinformation, and I'm I, I, and Putin came out and said he's trying to denazify the Ukraine. Putin, good luck with that, because it's been that way a long time, a long time. I said we were going to go deep into history today. You want me to give you some history? Look at this here, Janut Narbar Sodoy says if Russia takes over, then we will have the Soviet Union again. Really? Because the Soviet Union was just Russia and Ukraine? Okay, fine. Whatever. They are Nazis. Yeah, they're Nazis. And I'll tell you who's the Nazis. The Nazis and fascists. They're not Russians. They're Ukrainians. You know how I know that? Because my family's from Ukraine. You know how I know that? Because one of my best friends in the world is a former KGB operative who is also Ukrainian, who became an expat after the Soviet Union fell apart because he wasn't the horrible person everybody thought he was. He didn't want to join the Russian mob or the new oligarchs. And you had two choices at that point. Get your ass killed or leave. So I know what's going on. I have said that Ukraine has the potential to be Nazi Germany 2.0 since I started doing the show in 2008. Before the Crimean annexation, I was telling you that. Okay? And Putin has no interest in taking the entire Ukraine. He wants a buffer between Russia and the Soviet Union. So I want to draw something an analogy for you. It'll be hard for a lot of you to accept because it's going to require a little bit of inversion in your thought. I want you to think of the United States, but I don't want you to see us as this massive military power. I want you in a thought experiment to pretend that Mexico has the military might of the United States and the United States has about the military might of Mexico. And I want you to understand that at some point maybe Texas does what people talk about Texas doing all the time which I believe we have the sovereign right as citizens of the state of Texas to do, and say, we've had enough of this shit, we're done, we want out. We're done. And now we share a border with Mexico. Remember, Mexico's us in this thought experiment. And the United States agrees to it, and then breaks their agreement with the state of Texas, and has open conflict with the state of Texas they've agreed not to. To the point where it begins to make Mexico think, oh shit, all hell could break loose on our border. Let's pretend Mexico and the United States and Texas actually give a shit about our border, which we don't. And what if the United States or the state of Texas is like, you know, we want to be friendly with Mexico? And in fact, what if most of the citizens of Texas were ethnically Mexican? It's a lot more like that than what you're being told. It's not the same, but it's a lot more like that than you're being told. Told. Somebody wrote me today and said, what if China started attacking the United States, but they said they only wanted California? I said, well, what if California was, like, bordered China on the same border, and the California used to be part of China, and that when the Chinese Empire broke up and the United States was formed, we just took that piece with us when we went. And then what if we had constantly had intervention in California that was threatening the Chinese border. Does that make China right or wrong? I don't know, but let's not pretend otherwise. Somebody says use Alaska. We can't because there's no... you got to understand there's a physical border here. How would you feel... Take those of you that are old enough to remember USSR, NATO, and the Warsaw Pact. How would you feel if that was still the state of the world and Mexico was talking about joining the Warsaw Pact? Oh, 
or Canada was talking about joining the Warsaw Pact while we still had the Warsaw Pact in NATO and the, the Iron Curtain in, in Europe. Yeah, it's like that. So this isn't defending Russia. I'm just telling you where Russia's at. And this is the difference between Putin and our government. Russia actually gives a fuck about the safety and security, doesn't mean they're not totalitarian, but the safety and security of their nation, their people, and their borders, and we don't. And hence, we cannot understand what's going on at all. Russia cares about its fucking border with Ukraine and every other country. Russia doesn't want NATO countries on their border. Just like you wouldn't want Canada and Mexico part of an alliance with Russia. Would you? TV doesn't put it to you that way, and they never will. What do we need to do? We need to do something this country is not good at. Nothing. We need to stay out of this. We already said we're not going to intervene militarily. We need to shut our fucking mouths and let Ukraine and Russia work their shit out. Right? Well, we can't do it. Why? Because the TV told you. If it was Tanzania and Zimbabwe, would you feel the same way? If so, why not? Because the TV told you. Because you grew up watching Red Dawn. Because the Russians are the bad guys. Because Putin's evil. Like, because, you know, the head of Zimbabwe is a great guy. He's like a choir boy or what? You're being misled. You're being controlled. We need to stay completely out of it. Everything we've ever touched like this, we've made worse and we've expanded any conflict. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. Putin's going to flex. He's going to show what he could do. But taking Ukraine right now, bad idea. It's a fucking nightmare. Having this buffer zone and maybe getting more of the region, not just those two little provinces, now that I think he'll make a play for. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to be one of two things. It's going to be one of two things. One, these little breakaway provinces and maybe some other ones out there will form a coalition declare their independence and declare themselves as a joined republic because they're too small to stand alone something like the original United States maybe a confederation versus a federation and declare their sovereignty and Russia will say like they already have we support this and we will defend this and then Russia pulls back across the Russian border and says don't fuck with it okay That's the best outcome you can hope for now because your leaders are fucking stupid and created a situation where the apple was too ripe on the tree and Putin picked it. He'll take that. I think he would actually prefer that. I think Putin would like to have a whole little belt of nations that are not NATO alliance members between him and the NATO alliance members, which only makes sense. As much as you wouldn't have wanted Mexico right, to be a Warsaw Pact member... Yeah, Belize would have been a little bit better because you got a great big buffer in there. Why the hell do you think China allows North Korea to do all the stupid shit they do? Because they're a buffer between China and South Korea. That's why. These guys all play the same game, just differently. That's the best outcome you're going to get right now. A new sovereign independent republic. The more we do, the more likely you are to get Crimea 2.0. Now, Crimea, that's when the Russians invaded Crimea and they shot everybody and killed everybody and said, we're claiming Crimea. No. That's where the people of Crimea got fucking nervous that the Ukraine was going to try to re-annex them and they didn't want to be part of Ukraine. Funny common thread in this. There's a lot of places that are considered Ukraine that people don't want to be part of Ukraine in. Ukraine is a mess. It's a fucking mess. 
So Russia sent in its troops disguised as uh, peacekeepers and uh, local rebels, yeah, just like we do. By the way, every fucking thing Russia's doing, we've done a hell of a lot more of it. We've just fucked it up a lot more. Okay, we do the same shit, surgical strikes, and we're not really trying to hit... Like, everything that fucking Russia just did, we've done a hundred times in the past 50 fucking years. So let's not be the pot calling the kettle black here. But if we keep fucking around, what's going to happen is, they're going to say, hey, we got no choice, you're pushing us. Let's have a vote. And they're going to ask the people of these satellite republics, do you want to remain part of the Ukraine? Or do you want to be part of the Russian Federation? And let me tell you something. You do that Ukraine-wide, you're going to get, we want to stay Ukraine. You do that in freaking eastern Ukraine, you don't have to rig the election. You're going to get an equal result. You're going to get a fucking equal result to Crimea, which was more than 90% of voters chose to become part of the Russian Federation. This is simple. You either believe in the right of people to individual self-determination, or you do not. You don't pick a side when that's going on. You stay out of it. It's not our business. It's not our place. And the world will not end if, if part of Ukraine ends up part of Russia again. It won't change your life here in America unless your own stupid leaders make it. What's going to affect you right now? The price of fucking everything is about to go through the roof because the price of energy is going to double. And it's going to fuck our already completely fucked economy even worse. But the only reason that's going to happen, the only reason that's going to happen is your leaders are stupid. Your leaders are stupid. And we're going to push the price of energy way up because we're going to punish Russia. I'll tell you something about Russia and energy price. Oil, this is math. Oil under $70 a barrel. Russia literally can't do anything economically in the world. That's math. You can do the math for yourself if you want to. R oil, 70 bucks and down. Russia has no economic power in the world. None. One more time. None. One more time. No economic stability or power in the world. Their economic influence in the global sphere literally crumbles at $70 a barrel of oil. So go ahead and restrict their exports. Go ahead. You don't think people are still going to buy Russian fucking oil? You don't think they're still going to sell it? You don't think they're still going to sell it to fucking Germany, even though they shut down the Nordstrom pipeline? You don't think fucking Germany's going to still buy Russia's shit? They're just going to buy it off a ship instead of out of a pipe? You think shutting down a pipe actually prevents fossil fuel from being distributed from one nation to another? Do you believe that? Are you that dumb? If so, turn your fucking TV off for a year. Because you're not capable of understanding what I'm talking about if you believe that. So what happens when you push the price of oil up for Russia? Every bit of influence and control and power they have economically in the world goes up, not down. So these sanctions that the potato salad in chief is implementing against Russia and this interference in global affairs between Germany and Russia, which is also not our fucking business, but at least Germany's actually a fucking ally. Because let me tell you something. Ukraine is not an ally. Again, show me the agreement we have for an alliance with Ukraine. We don't have one. It doesn't exist. It's a word they made up on TV for you. Our democratic ally. It's not a democracy, and it's not our ally. We don't belong there. But everything we're doing is going to make Russia more powerful. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to leave it alone. 
I'm saying we should. We almost never do what we should. But you, want to, you might want to pay attention to the things that are actually going to impact your life. If you're only seeing the live stream here, you missed my intro. But I said, and I've said this for a long time too, one of the greatest weapons we have as people, as individuals, as citizens, individuals, when I say citizens, I mean citizens of our communities, not citizens of a state, is apathy. Apathy, we've been taught the word apathy itself is bad, it's evil, it's wrong. It's stupid thinking. If you believe that, turn your TV off. You're too programmed, you can't understand what's going on. You have to be apathetic so that you can focus your attention on things that are actually warranted to focus your attention on. I'm apathetic to the fact that it's cold outside right now because there's nothing I can do about it and it'll get warm later. It's okay. I'm apathetic as to who's going to play the next superhero on some Marvel movie because I'm not going to watch it. And if I spent my time thinking about shit like that, I couldn't do a show, I couldn't run my life, I couldn't take care of my family. I have to be apathetic about the things that have the least effect on me. So what is the game? What is the game of the people in power? To make you focus on things you should be apathetic to so that you won't pay attention to the things you actually need to pay attention to. How about the dire states of the United dire state of the United States economy right now? As bad as it is, it is on the verge of complete and total flushing itself down the toilet. We are we are headed toward economic ruin and everything that idiot in control right now, that dementia patient and the moron he picked for a VP are doing are heading us faster down the the freaking economic toilet right now. But worry about Ukraine. Our supposed democratic ally, our closest trading partner, is restricting the bank accounts of people who made a $25 fucking dollar donation to protesters, but let's worry about fucking Ukraine. Huh? We have people in this country that can't go to the fucking supermarket without a digital passport that says they got a medical treatment they do not want in direct violation of global fucking law and global fucking agreements. But let's worry about Ukraine. We have, and this is not about individuals, but we have a massive influx of foreign people coming across our southern border, and they're not just not stopping them, they're welcoming them in, putting them on fucking airplanes in the middle of the night, and flying them all over the country, and they're not all a bunch of refugees from El Salvador. They're all over the fucking world right now. Don't look at that. Let's worry about Ukraine. We have... Our government moving to have complete and total financial control of every citizen and every action they take within and outside of our borders if we don't build up the infrastructure on crypto strong enough before it happens. But let's worry about fucking Ukraine. Yeah, let's worry about Ukraine. And somebody mentioned Taiwan, so I want you to think about it this way. This is how absurd we are. It's almost 20 years ago now. Crimea, the citizens of Crimea voted to be part of the Russian Federation. There was never one, like unlike what's going on now, there was never a shot fired. Russians didn't drop a bomb. They didn't shoot anybody. They didn't take possession of anything. You know, as far as like troops coming in, roping out of helicopters and fucking pointing guns. No. Nah. People of Crimea voted over 90% to become part of the Russian Federation. Don't we get pissed off when people show maps of China and it includes Taiwan as part of China? 
Don't we say China's delusional? Like, don't we get upset when people refer, like, when somebody refers to Taiwan as an independent country and it offends China and that person has to apologize? Don't we say, hey, this is a, this is a lack of recognition of reality that this place has been an independent sovereign for since, since the 60s? Don't we think that's nuts? Check it out. Watch the next time your media puts up a map that shows Crimea is still being part of Ukraine. And tell me we're not doing the same fucking thing that China's doing. All the politicians are thugs. None of them have your best interest in heart. But you want to judge a leader of a country today, since they're all thugs? This is how you should judge a leader of a country. You should judge him or her on what they do to protect their people. What they do, who comes first in their eyes? Who comes first in their eyes? Other people in other countries around the world or their own people? Who? Who comes first? Do you think the American people come first with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? If you do, turn your fucking TV off for two years. You're not capable of thinking. Do you think the Canadian people come first with Justin Trudeau? No? Okay. No matter how much you don't like the guy. Who do you think comes first with Vladimir Putin? The Russian people? Or some other nation's people? It's a pretty simple thing, isn't it? You know why they hate the president of Hungary? Puts the people of Hungary first. It's a democracy. He was elected. He's in true danger of, of losing his re-election. But all of a sudden he's a thug and he's a horrible person because and he's a racist because he puts his people first. The reality is a lot of these people that are maybe not the best people in the world, but they're vilified by our government. They have one thing that I can say about them that is admirable. Well beyond just about anybody that's ever run this country. They put their people first. No matter how much I didn't, if I was president of a country, no matter how much I disliked the leader of another country, the one thing I would respect him for is putting his people first, and the one thing I would never respect him for is putting the people of other countries before his own. All right, guys, I know that went longer than I planned, and it's a complex thing. It really is a complex issue, and we only scratched the surface on it there. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, that you don't you don't know what's going on and you will never know what's really going on you will never see the full picture and if if you're looking at it from the lens of US media you don't have the full picture if you look at it from the lens of Russian media and other international media sources you don't have the full picture but if you look at it both ways you have a closer to the full picture and if you take history into account with it You also have a, a more full picture. And I, I just want to, if I wasn't clear, I want to be totally clear here. If I'm wrong about all this, I still don't think we should get involved. I still don't, because I can't see how a person that lives in Chicago or Jacksonville, Florida or Dallas, Texas, benefits from U.S. military intervention in Ukraine. And I think we really need to start asking ourselves, whenever this country does anything, How does it make Americans safer, more comfortable, more prosperous, and more secure in their future? And we don't do that. 
The people in power ask, how does it increase their power and their control over the people of this country? That's a very hard thing to hear. But if you don't understand that after what we've experienced for the last two years, I don't know that you ever will. But if you're listening, there's still hope. So keep listening. And like I said, turn off the fucking TV, please. If you can't grasp, even if you disagree, but if you can't grasp the truths within of what I just told you, you are not in a position where you are capable of listening to the TV people and filtering bullshit. I'm sorry. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I want to remind you guys that you can help support this show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you start your shopping there, you will help us out no matter what you eventually buy. I don't have an item of the day for you today. Just remember that, tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there when you're going to buy anything. And if you see something I've reviewed there, you know I spent my money on it and I'd do it again, or I wouldn't recommend you spend your money on it. But even if you buy something else, if you just start there, you help us out. Also, join the MSB if you have not done so. Again, I got that sale going on. Discount code is MEXICO22, M-E-X-I-C-O, number 22. Just like it sounds, you don't have to spell it out. And uh, you can get your first year of MSB, in fact, all consecutive years of MSB for 35 bucks. That's a discount of a little bit over 25%. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I appreciate you being with me today. I got some really cool stuff coming tomorrow and some really cool stuff coming next week. Take care, and I will see you tomorrow morning. They gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow Revolution Show.